listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. Uh, we only have about three weeks left in the book of John, and it's been quite a journey. I hope you've enjoyed the, the adventure as we walk through the book of John. It's been one of my, it's one of my favorite books. And uh, I hope you've seen patterns of what John has been doing and using over on the book. John is a person of patterns. And so if you're a pattern person like I am, he says a lot of things, he records a lot of things that are very similar, uh, either by parallels of light and dark um, and, and that way, or also just things he says over and over. Like uh, one of the main things we've been talking about here lately is the idea of the I am statements by Jesus. Uh, he's talked about the idea that he's, I am the light of the world. I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, I'm the resurrection, we've talked about that. And today we're gonna to be talking about the idea of I am divine. So what does that even mean? Well, first of all, every one of the statements that Jesus uses when he's saying I am of those statements, it's not um, just his teaching style. He's drawing us back to the Bible where Jesus says, I am that I am. First of all, saying, I identify with deity in the same way that God the Father does. But the second thing is, each one of these I am statements, you should look at it as Jesus revealing one more nuance, one more personality trait of who he is and what he does in your life. And so um, today we're going to talk about this idea. So what does it mean? What is the nuance that we're looking for? What is Jesus revealing about himself when he says, I am divine? Well, we're about to find out. Let's read our passage for the day. If you have your Bibles, you can look at John 15, and 1 through uh, 17. If you don't have your Bibles, as always, it's printed the order of worship uh, for your convenience. And we're actually going to um, read verse 1 through 5. Uh, because it's a longer passage, and we'll come back and we'll take up the rest of the verses as we look through this. So let's read the first uh, few verses here in John 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, open our eyes to what you would see, have us to see about your son today as a reflection of what we need to see about you. Invite us into the relationship of your holy family, Father, Son, and Spirit. May we be moved by all of those things, Lord. Send your Spirit upon this place. Uh, give us discernment and wisdom. Uh, and may, we may worship you in spirit and truth. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our first uh, starter home was in Memphis. It was a small house uh, with a little, a, a very small backyard. Um, and at the time that we moved in, we were happy, excited to get a house, but we were also frustrated because Larissa and I grew up in Arkansas in some pretty wide open spaces. And now we were living in a subdivision. 
Uh, it was a far cry from the farm or the cattle farms that she had grown up around. But at one point, I made a decision that I wasn't going to be discontent about it. I was going to try to make the best of it. So I built this uh, little, little swing set for my daughter that, that had a little tower up there. I built a two-story little pink playhouse. I get obsessed about things uh, with a little white picket fence around it. Uh, I planted vegetable gardens, herb gardens, uh, these little, uh, my friend had a bunch of bamboo and so I would get bamboo and make little fences around each of the gardens in that way. I built an arbor over our, uh, our uh, you know, concrete foundation in the back and then I began to plant flowers, mainly roses. It was a little piece of heaven, I think, on earth. Looking back, uh, I don't think there's ever been a time when I was that content, even though we were in that small of a space, with how our backyard looked. We had about 15 rose bushes, I think, at the time. And there were these beautiful tea roses, the long stem ones and, uh, and, and some shorter ones. We had yellow, we had red, we had mixed colors in that. It was a thing of beauty. And they all had names like Double Delight and Elegant Lady. You know, you've, you've heard those before. A Grateful Heart, you know, how roses do. By the way, those weren't my names for the roses. Those actually came with, I wasn't that obsessed. But every year when it came to winter, my wife and I would go round and round over one aspect of it, and that was pruning. <laughs> I would frustrate her with how much I would cut those rose bushes back. I was very aggressive, and even I have to admit, when I got through, it looked like a plant slaughterhouse out there. <laughs> I mean, it looked like I had just murdered those roses. But every year, they not only grew back to their former glory, but many times they would double in size. And if you've ever grown roses at all, or been around people that have, you know that intentional pruning is one of the main keys to healthy rose bushes. In this passage, Jesus talks about his father as a gardener. Um, which makes so much sense when you look at the world around us, right? Uh, the variety of trees that we have, the plants in the world, the flowers that we have around us. But Jesus is taking a step further than just talking about creation and plants in that way. He's talking about our lives. He's talking about our souls here. So let's break this down in these three points, and, and you can see my sermon outline in the order of worship. These three points that relate to uh, Jesus being the vine and, and God being the, the uh, master gardener here, or we see, first of all, Jesus as the vine. Second of all, what does it mean to abiding in the vine? And what is the fruit of abiding? What is he talking about here? When he's talking about plants and pruning and all these things, what does that have to do with the fruit of it? How does it relate to our souls here? So let's look at uh, point number one here. Jesus as the vine. The passage that we just read, let's look at those again. I am the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may be bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me, Jesus says. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's go ahead and look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. So this passage starts with a simple statement, right? 
Jesus is the vine and the Father is the vine dresser, meaning the gardener over the, the vineyard here. And Jesus is saying that he came to earth to plant life in places that did not have life. And the Father has his back as the master gardener, meaning that you don't have to worry about planting yourself. And you don't have to worry about designing your life. The Father and the Son have already designed the garden. They've already planned out your life before the world began. So the question is, first of all, are you good with that? See, in our lives in America, we have grown up with the idea that we have to plan our own destiny. That we have to figure it out on our own. Our lives, everything else. We have to carve out a future for ourselves. And over time, we all know that we feel the weight of that on our backs. It wears us out. You have plans. I have plans here in the church today. God is not discounting that. That's not what I'm saying. But Jesus is about flourishing you and helping you thrive in a way that you have never imagined before. But also pruning you in a way that's going to bear fruit. Because pruning is also necessary for growth. A good friend of mine uh, right outside of Memphis just started some muscadine vines, um, a vineyard last year. And he was very meticulous in the way he built the trellises. Uh, these tea trellises had the, the lines that he had for each one of those, the wires. Uh, he dug real good deep roots, of holes for the roots. He would compact, uh, sorry, he would compost those vines. He was one of those guys that's really good at those kind of things. Uh, yet there were certain factors that were just out of his control, mainly the weather. And so last year, he kept having these surprise freezes and, and, and uh, frost that would come at the wrong time. And almost every vine in his vineyard died. So what did he do? I mean, what can you do? You take them and you throw them away. You burn them like you would dead leaves. Except there's one vine that was still alive. It was barely alive. And he took that vine and he, and, he, and he uprooted it and he put it in a pot and tenderly cared for it and cut back as much as he could, just enough to where at this point, now he has one vine and it's, it's growing in size every day. But see, here's the thing. Unlike this, the vine of Jesus never dies. We're the branches. We're not the vine. We're the branches. And we start to wither sometimes. Which brings us back to the necessity of pruning. Cutting back looks harsh at the beginning. It hurts. When a plant undergoes pruning, it undergoes a form of suffering that makes it grow even more productive afterward. I mean, think about all the things that can happen. Fungus, decay, disease. All those things need to be extracted and damage uh, needs to be brought. I mean, damage that needs healing at that point. Branches that need restoration to promote flourishing and thriving and beauty. It's an age-old question of why is there suffering in your life? Why is there suffering in your life? Because God loves you not, enough to not leave you where you are. And he wants you to not only stay where you are, he wants you to see something that you have never imagined. And sometimes that comes in ways that you can't imagine mysteriously. The things that, that you never thought would need to happen by way of suffering that cut back things in your life that over time should not be there and it hurts. But that's when we trust God the most. Because you can't forget the fact that He is about your thriving. So what do we need to keep in mind when it has to do with God pruning in, in our lives and, and the suffering that comes with that? Let's look at uh, number two. 
the, the point of abiding in the vine. Look at verse 7. It says, If you abide in me and your words abide, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this the Father is glorified that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as the Father kept my commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So look at the terms that we've looked at so far. This idea of flourishing, thriving, and joy, and all these things. So what does it look like when you abide in the vine? The vine obviously being Jesus. First, he says here, you can boldly ask and receive. Before you start thinking what you may be thinking, where it says, ask whatever you wish, and God will give that to you. There's certain few things that you've got to take in context here in that. There's a statement that I think it's from uh, John Piper that I, I've talked to you about before uh, that, as a pastor up north. Um, and he said this, God will give you everything you want based on the fact that you actually know what you want and your desires align with what God knows to be good and true for you. You see the difference? He doesn't say, whatever you want, you can have. Because God loves you more than that to give you whatever you want, just like a little child. You don't let a little child have everything they want because they don't know what they want most of the time. And number two, they don't know what's healthy for them. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, that's what he says first, then ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So there's a condition here of the words of abiding, namely, when words and the life of Jesus, you're really abiding in those, and they begin to take root in your passions and in your delights, it's going to shape not only the, your passions and your delights and the way you live, it's going to shape the way you pray and what you ask for. This is not a, a trick here. This is not saying if you do this, you do that. It's not an equation. It's just saying in general, the more you abide with Jesus, the more your desires and your hearts are going to be shaped and changed. And then you start to ask for the things that are actually good for you, meaning more and more our desires line up to God's desires. And when they do, more and more we're going to ask the right things of what we really want and need. And more and more our prayers will be answered accordingly. Let's be honest, most of the time, and I'm, I'm talking about myself too, most of the time we don't even really know what we want or what we really need. We have these vague notions in our mind of what's going to make us happy. And we get those things a lot of times, and guess what? We're back in the same place. We have, we have, we're discontent, and sometimes it's worse because we thought it would make us happy, and it didn't. Now we're thinking, what is going to make us happy? And so, and then we have a little joy in our life. Often we ask ourselves, what would it take? What is it going to take in my life to find true and lasting, real joy? And most of the time, I don't know about you, I don't know the answer to that. But God does. And abiding in Jesus is going to give us the key to that. Let's look at point three, last point. What's the fruit of this abiding? So we've had this idea of Jesus is the vine. We're called to abide in him. What's going to be the fruit? I mean, what are our lives going to look like if we're really abiding in, in Jesus here? Well, let's look at the, the fruit of abiding. Verse 12. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends, if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servant, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Like I said, the question I ask myself all the time, James, what would it take to, to really make you happy? Meaning, when do I get to the place, and what are the characteristics of myself when I get to the place where I really have joy, I have freedom, and I'm flourishing and thriving? What's the characteristics of those places where I'm really finding consistent joy? We ask that all the time. Everybody in this room asks that whether you realize it or not. But I think it's the same thing of what Jesus is offering here. Matter of fact, I know it's the same thing. So what is he saying is the fruit of a body that's going to really bring us to that place in life that we're talking about? What does it produce? Well, see, Jesus talks about this. He says, we will start to follow the real commandments of the Father. But it's not what you think. See, it's interesting because following the commandments in the way that Jesus is talking about here is not ultimately about rules. It's not about the do's and don'ts of the Bible because he keeps going back to something else. Jesus continually blew this up in his ministry. Every time people thought about, I'm following God's command, I love God, he blows it up and said, it's not about the do's and don'ts and the rules that you do. So what is it? Let's think back. What's the ultimate commandment? To love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, he summed it up. To love God with all your being and your neighbor unconditionally. The number one test of are you really abiding in Jesus is that you are free in some way to love. Meaning that abiding in Jesus makes you unselfish and the abiding in Jesus gives you unconditional love. What he said, a love, a lay down your life kind of love for people. And this is only possible through friendship with Jesus. So what does this love look like? It's selfless. It's not a love where you're thinking about it, what am I going to get back in return? It's a love that experiences joy versus jealousy all the time. It's, it's from what others are experiencing from what you do and not you always thinking about what's in it for me. See, this love that Jesus talked about is marked by forgiveness, giving people the benefit of the doubt, serving others without expectation, expecting nothing in return, and not resenting others when they let you down. But in addition, it's to true joy and peace. It's also knowing this. It's not just what you give out. Here's the other side to it. It's also this, knowing that you have value and meaning and purpose and that you are loved unconditionally no matter what see Jesus main point in the passage today this all in with this is that everything I just described is impossible it is impossible to have a fruitful life in your heart and your mold and your in your soul and your mind and have the peace and joy and love that we talked about today it's impossible without him true life truly living is unavailable to any of us without him. You can't find it in somebody else. You can't find it in other people. 
You can't find it in your relationships. You can't ultimately find it in other things. That's what Jesus is trying to say. You may get joy for a time to that, but what he's talking about here is consistent, life-giving, flourishing, thriving, a deep-rooted joy that you'll never find anywhere else. See, people always disappoint you, and things will always let you down and only give you temporary pleasure. It's also impossible. The way we're talking about serving without expectation in this church is impossible to do without Jesus. It's just too hard. All the things we talk about of, of, of forgiving people and giving them the benefit of the doubt and loving on them unconditionally, it's too hard. We can't do it. That's what Jesus' point here is. You've got to have me. See, you don't do it backwards. This is where I think a lot of people in Christianity get it wrong. They think, I do these right things, and then I abide in Jesus. And Jesus said, you got it backwards. Abide in me, rest in the work that I do. And guess what? Then you'll be able to do the things that I'm calling you to do. You can't do it the other way. You cultivate a friendship with Jesus first. And over the, only then, as an overflow of that, can you do that. Jesus is the source of thriving, and he gives us that peace. So what we're saying here in the end is you can't work harder and produce this in your life. You can't consistently say, you know, I don't have joy. I don't have peace. I'm not following uh, God's command to love others as myself. And you can't say, I'm just going to try harder this week. It doesn't work that way. This is what Jesus is trying to blow up here today. We have to spend time on a regular basis with Jesus, cultivating a friendship through prayer and his word, or we will not be fruitful. That's the only way. We will not be fruitful. We have to commune with him. And communion every week is a reminder of that. The table is a place each week that reminds us that he did the work for us so that we don't have to do it on our own. A reminder that through his death, we have the life that we talked about today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, for your love and your friendship and your grace and your mercy. Without that, we can't do anything. We're just full of ourselves many times. God, help us every day to come to the end of ourselves so quickly where we have to remind ourselves we just can't do it without you. Lord, we need you. Make us desperate for friendship with you. Make us desperate to spend time with you. Make us desperate to, to seek your word and find out what would you have us to do Lord, we're tired of fumbling around and having these vague notions of what will make us happy and what our, your plan is for our lives. Lord, your plan is for us to love you with all our heart, soul, and mind, and our neighbor and ourselves. And the only way to do that is to cultivate a friendship with your son. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.